0: Hi, this is Cecil Trachenberg from Good Bad Flicks, and you're listening to Tale of the Manicore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener, discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, The tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 51, from top to bottom, continues the story of Shawnee's infiltration into Lord Goddard's estate and his subsequent assassination. There are several things at play here, including a ticking clock on her silence 15-foot radius spell, and balancing both the benefits and drawbacks that the magic's particularities create. There's a moment where the whole plan almost falls apart. When a valet comes close to revealing her presence, Sha'ne is forced to neutralize her and almost bungles the job. Luckily, fate gives her a second chance, and the valet is permanently silenced. The episode ends with Lord Goddard, who has lost his sight and must rely on his other senses, slowly realizing that his valet has been replaced by a stranger. However, although he tries, there is nothing he can say to stay the assassin's hand. This episode was meant to begin with a level up for Jace, but sadly, since the last chapter was devoted only to Shanae, and only she was at risk for the duration, I cannot advance any of the other PCs on the level up chart, and they will all be delayed by one episode. Sorry Jace, much as I would have liked to, your advancement will have to wait a little longer, and the timing is truly unfortunate, because I suspect that Jace is going to find himself in a scrap today. But that's not happening just yet, because I still need to see if Shawnee can get out of the Goddard estate with her, uh, with her prize. Save for her enchanted gloves, she no longer has any magical aids. The invisibility spell is gone. The silent spell has expired. Even her resist cold buff has worn off, so Shawnee is on her own. She needs to get from Goddard's bedchamber to safety beyond the walls of the estate. But hang on, there's still one more thing to determine. If you recall, Goddard managed to stall for a few minutes in the last episode by talking about a strong box with a tricky catch. When he mentioned it, he was starting to become suspicious that something was wrong. If he was extremely clever, the box doesn't even exist, or at least it isn't there in the master bedroom. In other words, a very shrewd Lord Goddard might have dropped some completely false information in order to provoke a contradiction. Remember when he said, Would you be a dear and save me the trouble of opening the safe box? Prepare Lugan's five hundred coins for me. The catch is hidden so well I always have trouble finding it. That might have been a ruse. If there was no strongbox here, and no contradiction came from his valet, then he would have known almost for sure that something was wrong. Of course, a gambit like that would take nerves of steel. Did Goddard have nerves of steel? He might well have been talking about a very real strongbox that was in his room, simply in the hopes of catching an intruder's interest, and to buy time. A third option? Well, it's possible he didn't even know he was in danger yet and was simply talking candidly to a person he trusted. In that case, the strong box would be real and located near to where Shawnee had been hiding. Well, let's make it random. On a D6, a 1-2 means Goddard was being extremely clever. There is no strong box, at least not here. A 3-4 means the box is real and he was buying time. A 5-6 to six means he didn't even realize he was in danger yet. Ultimately, options two and three will both have the same result. Well, anyway, here's the roll. <laughs> I got a one. You clever such and such, Lord Goddard. Let it never be said that you don't have a good head on your shoulders. Chapter 52, Part 1, Day 128, Morning. Shawnee. 26 of 26 hit points. The southern tears. Shawnee cursed. She had wasted at least ten minutes looking for Goddard's blasted strongbox, when a flash of indignation passed through her and she realized she had been played for a fool. Shaking her head, she exited Goddard's bedroom through the same door she had entered. She carried the Lord's severed head in her pack. Over the pack was slung a green cape she had taken from the dead valet. She had also taken a silver brooch, shaped to look like a watchtower, from the body. Shawnee recognized the symbol from other parts of the house, It was carved into the headboard of Goddard's bed and embroidered into the servant's cape. Shawnee correctly assumed it was the Goddard family crest. Other than the cape and brooch, Shawnee had also liberated the woman's black felt cap and had it on with the side flaps pulled down to cover her ears. From a distance, she might be mistaken for the valet if she was lucky. She left behind the napulic axe and the headless corpse of Goddard himself among a choir of birds whose communal song had changed from joyful piping to nervous chirps and squawks. She was grateful to see the hallway that led to the main stairs was empty. This was not too much of a surprise, as it was still early morning and most of the servants would have little business on the estate's upper floor. But she was not safe. There were people about. At the very least, there were the swordsman and his pupil, the washerwoman, and someone named Lucan, who was cousin to the lord and, who despite being what Shanae considered a useless human being, as all nobles were to her, was built like a fighter and had probably studied the sword. Her best bet was to leave by the way she had entered, moving silently and swiftly. The most dangerous part would be leaving the building, as the swordsman's lesson would no doubt be ongoing. Of course, she didn't have to fight her way out, she just needed to get out. She grit her teeth and made for the stairs. Chapter 52. Part 2. Day 128. morning. While Shawnee was trying to make good her escape from the Goddard estate, Krell was going through his morning routine at the Tower of the City Watch. He had spent the entirety of the previous day there, and had even slept in the barracks with the men. From the moment he had arrived until well after sunset, he had been swamped, catching up on all the work he'd missed while preoccupied with matters at the castle. There were reports to receive, questions to answer, inspections to be made, orders to give, letters to write. It seemed endless." Most of the reports had been run-of-the-mill City Watch Fair. Three thefts, two missing children, two accounts of public violence, one of which had produced a corpse, petty vandalism, and four people brought in for vagrancy, all of whom were near death from exposure. The South Gate had reported no comings or goings other than the movements of the City Watch, but one report was of special interest to Krell and required his personal attention. A patrol outside the gates had noticed scorch marks on the wall outside the Rosedale District, Thinking they'd found the campsite of some travelers or vagrants using the lee of Silmoral's walls to build a campfire, they'd inspected the site and discovered the blasted padlock and dislocated grate of a water runoff channel. Follow-up on the other side of the wall had discovered the opened padlock on the interior grate. Krell understood at once. Briar Patches had fled this way and might, by now, be anywhere. It had been days. The gesture could even have escaped Camertine's borders. He was likely to be waking up somewhere in Camrath or Zaysha at the moment. In other relevant news, according to his men, Sindhwan was still absent. Although the captain of the palace guard would not normally visit the Tower of the Watch and had few dealings there, Krell's men moved about the city and spoke with other guards. Someone would have seen the captain if he were around to be seen. Sindwan had probably left with the queen, or was it even possible that he had facilitated the escape of the jester? Krell decided he needed to return to the castle and go through the man's office, see if he could find any clue as to his whereabouts. Something curious. For every hour Krell spent away from Whitestone Castle, his head felt clearer, and he felt a little less anxious and strange in his own skin. He hadn't realized it at the time. The sensation must have come upon him by inches, but when he departed the palace, he had been a roiling storm of unfocused vexation. As to what he was angry about, he couldn't say. Nothing. Everything. Certainly the mysterious murders in the dungeon perplexed him, and his failure to stay awake during his all-night vigil frustrated him. But the wild and undirected anger felt unwarranted. Although his head was much clearer now, if he were being honest, he felt that something was missing inside and could not help but be drawn back to the castle. After his regular duties were done, Carl departed the Tower of the Watch and made his way up to the Cernan Gate. For no reason at all, he clenched his jaw and balled his hands into fists under his cloak as he walked. The setting sun colored the bottoms of the clouds overhead with rosy hues. It was beautiful. But Krell did not notice. If you love anime and D&D, check out Warlock. It's the story of me, Nova Ravenwood, a young woman born without magic who forms a pact with a mysterious being for power. Set in a fantasy world of adventure, dragons, and powerful sorcerers, the story unfolds like an anime for your ears. And don't forget about our muscular hunk of a classmate, me, Ren. Too bad this is audio only, otherwise, you could see that I'm flexing my arms off over here. Are you seriously interrupting the ad? You moron! Sorry, we'll get out of your way. Wait, 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 hang on. I haven't even told them about my amazing powers. I guess I should describe myself a little bit more first. First thing, I don't wear a shirt. Thanks, Briar! Join the quest and listen to Warlock wherever you get your podcast or visit warlockpod.com for more information. Chapter 52, Part 3, Day 128, Morning, Shawnee, 26 of 26 hit points. Hours before, while Krell was still deep into his duties at the Tower of the City Watch, Shawnee was inching along the hallway on the second floor of the Goddard Estate and planning her way out. At the top of the marble stairs, she stopped, lifted a flap of the valet's felt cap away from her left ear, and listened. Hearing nothing, she patted down the steps, hugging the wall side out of pure habit. Most staircases creaked if you walked down the middle of them. Even though she knew she should be putting all of her concentration into moving quickly and silently... Shani was distracted. Since entering Goddard's bedroom, she couldn't stop thinking about Shartoon and Tamlin. Strangely, it was not the parable of the blind man that her mind went to. Instead, she held an image in her head of the nobleman, sitting in his chair with his back to her and backlit by the window. While she'd been crouching in the back of his room, waiting for Bazo's spell to wear off, she heard Tamlin's voice in her head, preaching his criticism of the wealthy and arguing that the rich were prisoners of their own fortune. Tamlin was right, Shawnee now understood. Goddard couldn't even leave his compound. He was so nervous and vulnerable, and it wasn't his blindness that made him so. The poorest Napulic serf at least had the freedom to walk abroad when they willed it. If Goddard had not been born of noble blood, he would have been able to do so as well. As she reached the bottom of the staircase, she smiled a wry smile. Perhaps all these thoughts had really just come to her so she wouldn't feel so bad about not finding Goddard's strong box. Now she was in the grand vestibule, with the impressive marble statue of the robed figures Shawnee had not recognized on the way in, and whose face was still unfamiliar to her. There were also the numerous painted portraits, most small and clustered in groups of four, along with the larger ones of Colfrey and Goddard. She stole a quick glance to the right. Down the corridor she had not entered through, but that mirrored it on the far side of the vestibule. There had been sounds of a child coughing from that direction before, but all was silent now. A case could be made that it would be better to go that way, but she knew that there was a good chance she would encounter a second locked door at the corridor's end, and she would not found any keys on the valet. Too risky. She decided to stick with the path she knew, turned left, and walked back towards the side door by which she would entered. Soon she was in the spot where the washerwoman had been. She was happy for the carpet runner. It would certainly make it easier to keep her footsteps quiet as she closed the distance. Beyond that side door, she knew she would find the lesson in swordplay ongoing, but she had the valet's cap and cape and hoped she could get by without drawing too much attention to herself. I think there needs to be a price to pay for the time Shawnee wasted looking for Goddard's strongbox, and that price will be an extra skill check where I otherwise would have hand-waved it. A roll against her move silently skill is in order. Since she's been and is walking on carpet, I'll allow the check to be made with advantage, A fail here would probably indicate that someone hurt her as she descended the marble stairs. Okay, I've got some dice ready. Shawnee's chance of success is 55%. And here's the first roll. A 57! Oops, she just missed it. But I did say she can roll with advantage, so she gets a second chance. Here it comes. I got a 44. Earlier, when Shawnee picked the lock coming into Goddard's home, she'd left it unlocked. make her life easier on the way out. Before she opened the door, however, she took a moment to press her ear to the wood and listen. Through it, she could hear the sounds of ringing steel on steel. Clearly, the lesson in swordplay was not yet finished. Not too surprising, she thought. Grasping the door handle, she pushed down gently, then stopped, changed her mind, and pushed the door open with confidence. Instantly, winter air blasted her face, and she had to squint against the glare of sunshine on snow. Regardless, she strode out in full view of the fighters, taking a sharp left and hoping that teacher and pupil had not seen her face. The continued ringing of steel suggested they had probably been fooled by her cape, cap, and brooch, despite the bulge of her backpack and the scabbard held tightly against her side. Shawnee followed the wall, resisting the urge to look back over her shoulder. She had only taken a few steps when the sound of sword fighting abruptly stopped. Keep going, she told herself, but do not quicken your pace. If you look like you know where you're going, most people will never question it. More of Yellowfly's wisdom. Most of the time, she thought, it was true. But it wasn't true all of the time. I need to make some kind of roll to see if Sir Patrick Salomar will notice that the person wearing the valet's outfit is not, in fact, the valet. I wonder what kind of skill check would be appropriate. bxd doesn't have a perception check, but a wisdom check might work here. I suppose I'll need to roll up Salomar's wisdom score before I can do that. I won't bother with his other stats. We only need the one. Rolling three d6. Okay, I've got a 12 for his wisdom. A bit more perceptive than the average person, which makes good sense given who this man is. Next, I'll roll a d20. And if the result is a 12 or under, Salomar will notice that something is wrong. The lower the number, the more suspicious he'll be. The roll. Shaunae could feel the rapid tattoo of her heartbeat in her throat. It took all of her self-control to maintain a steady pace and not look back. The corner of the estate was just a few dozen feet away. If she could just make it there, she could break line of sight and her escape would be all but complete. The clanging steel resumed and Shaunae blew out a cloud of air which turned into vapor around her head. She hadn't even realized she'd been holding her breath. A few moments later, she rounded the corner. The backyard was empty, safe at the wall, with her rope right where she left it. One end tied to the spikes atop the wall's crest, and the other end lost in the thorn bushes below. She smiled. It was a clear run to safety. While a light wind blew a flurry of flakes through the air, she looked across the yard, made her way carefully into the thorn bush, gripped the rope, and began her ascent. In a few moments, Shawnee was up, over, and gone. Chapter 52, Part 4, Day 128, Late Morning. It was Lucan who found the bodies and who raised the hue and cry. Murder! Ring the alarm! One of his first thoughts, though he would never have admitted it, even to himself, was for the 500 crowns that he'd been promised as a loan. His second thought had been for the man's entire fortune. As Goddard had been a lifelong bachelor and had no children of his own, how much of his fortune might fall to him. The actual discovery of the corpse had been a shock and most unpleasant, but Lucan was not entirely unacquainted with bloodshed and had some experience with death from the battlefield. After the initial upset had worn off and the above-mentioned errant thoughts had raced through his brain, he had felt proper outrage. The meaning of the Napulic axe was not lost on him. He grasped at once that what he witnessed was politically motivated. He raced from the room, bounded down the stairs two at a time, and tore a decorative shield and morning star from the wall, where it was displayed over the fireplace in the vestibule. Now armed, he strode ahead with purpose, threw open the main doors, and rushed out into the winter snow. By now, a bell was ringing madly from within the house, and muffled voices sounding horror and surprise could be heard behind him. He looked to his right, nothing there but empty yard, Straight ahead, the solitary gate of his cousin's property remained closed. There were two guards stationed there. They'd heard his cry from the bedroom window even before they heard the bells, and now, in unison, spread their arms, pointing at the gate and shaking their heads. One started to move towards him, but Lucan was of no mind to wait. He turned to the left and almost collided with Sir Salomar, with his young pupil in tow, who had raced over from the training square when they heard the alarm. Lucan was a tall man, but Sir Salomar towered over him by six inches. The knight was garbed in a shirt of scale mail, but wore no helmet. His face, deadly serious, bore a half-dozen faint white scarves from past battles. His eyes were dark and alert. Tell me, what has happened? I heard a cry of murder come from the lord's window. Was it not your voice? It was, replied Lucan. Our dear lord Goddard is murdered, as is his steward. But how can this be? replied Salomar, his face tight. The villain must still be at large, for the bodies were warm when I found them. I have been outside these past two hours and saw nobody enter the house. Salomar looked around wildly, but the grounds looked just the same as ever and gave no hint of any intruder. You saw no one, you say? Chris Lucan. No one entered. However follow me salomar did not finish his sentence but turned back the way he had come and sprinted past the training yard and round the back corner he had remembered seeing the valet go that way but lucan had just said the lord steward was dead how could he have missed it when lucan caught up to him panting salomar was staring at the snow between himself and the back wall there was a pair of trails still visible in the snow One set of footprints was almost gone, and the other was quickly being filled by swirling drifts of powdery snow when the wind gusted. Quick! To the front gate! He turned to the young lad, just catching up. Chaitan, you stay with me and do not leave my side. He did not wait for a reply, but ran back the way he had come immediately. Young Chaitan obeyed, dashing after his master with Lucan following behind, and blowing out plumes of vaporous breath like a dragon. The front gates of the Goddard estate were a double barrier, including a massive pair of tablet-shaped doors, fronted by a separate outer gate that swung out instead of in. By the time Sir Salomar and the others had reached it, the pair of guards stationed there had already anticipated their intention, and the wooden doors were wide open they were removing the gate's heavy iron padlock as the trio arrived. Hurry, there's no time to spare, ordered the knight, and the gate was swung open. (coughs) Lucan pushed by them and dashed ahead, whipping his head from right to left. He must have caught something, for he called out, Look! and raced off. Salomar commanded one of the knights to remain at the gate, and the other to come with him. With caution, he followed Lucan along the outside of the estate wall, with the boy and the door guard right behind him with me called lucan over his shoulder he had seen a man with a sword in hand rounding the corner up ahead the man had locked eyes with him and then turned around and fled back the way he had come assuming that this was the assassin lucan charged forward he was swift of foot and believed he could close the gap although he expected to discover the man tearing off down some adjacent alleyway when he reached the corner of the estate wall that is not quite what he found Yellowfly's team has set up an ambush, hoping to draw the guards out from the protection of Goddard's walled estate and then attack from concealment. They've arranged themselves in various locations nearby so as to maximize their ability to do this. Catsbane is in position at the second-story window of a tailor shop in a spire-topped building owned by Shrawl. The shop itself is located near the corner behind which Jace, who's acting as bait, has just retreated. Bazu is in the same building and has already cast Bless. This prayer gives those nearby a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls, though not all of the PCs are nearby. Bazu, standing behind the tailor shop's main door, is now armed with a quarterstaff, purchased by Yellowfly on the previous day, and he's wearing Jace's old chain hauberk. Speaking of Jace, the fighter is close by, but he's on the outside of the door. Earlier, he stowed his short bow here, and by now we will have it up with an arrow knocked and ready to fire. Yellowfly is also armed with a ranged weapon, a new crossbow, he and Shanae, who collected her short bow from Yellowfly after escaping the compound, are hiding around the corner of a separate building a dozen yards away. This place is a moneylender's shop, made of grey stone, and marked by a sign depicting a pair of scales and weights. The PC's ambush has been designed to create confusion and surprise, but Lucan, rash as he is, will not be automatically surprised. Furthermore, Sir Salamar, along with his young people and the door guard, will not be subject to surprise at all, as they are still a few paces behind Lucan. This means if Lucan fails his check, he will take the full brunt of the ambush. I'll roll a d6 to find out what happens. On a 1 or a 2, Lucan will be surprised. Of course, the PCs cannot be surprised, so it's just the one roll. Here we go. I've got a 1. Oh my, this could be really bad for Lucan. He's going to take the full brunt of the PCs concerted attack. Before we go any further, I'll need to generate some stats for the young nobleman. Lucan is a third level fighter with... Oh, he's quite tough. He has 18 hit points. However, other than the decorative shield and morning star he took from the wall inside the Goddard House, he is not well-equipped. That shield gives him an armor class of 11. Okay, I think that's enough detail. It's time for entering Combat. All right, for this surprise round, Yellowfly will need an eight to hit the almost unarmored Lucan. He's only got a four. That's a miss. He's just not that good of an archer, and the crossbow is an unfamiliar weapon. How about Shawnee? Surely she can hit. With all of her modifiers considered, she needs to get a six or better. A 17 will certainly do it. But for just two damage, Shawnee draws first blood. Her arrow clips Lupin's left arm and splatters the snow with his crimson blood. Jace is next. With the benefit of Bazoo's Bless spell, he needs an 8, just like Yellowfly. He's got an 11. That's enough. Bazoo's spell gives him a plus 1 to damage as well. Ooh, 6 damage. Jace's arrow slams into Lucan's stomach, knocking him back a step. (coughs) Lucan now has just 10 hit points remaining. That brings us to Cat's Bane. He casts Magic Missile, and of course, Magic Missile never misses. With the benefit of the Bless spell, he does... I rolled a one. That means he does just three damage, taking Lucan down to seven hit points. The arcane bolt curly cues through the air and smashes into the nobleman's side. Ah! As for Bazu, he will not take any action this round. He's behind a locked door of the tailor shop, acting as insurance in case the enemy comes after Catsbane. This brings us to round one. Initiative. Lucan. A three. The party. A five. As soon as Lucan turns the corner, he is hammered with missiles. The quick succession of impacts knocks him back, and, because of the pain and surprise, he doesn't think to duck back behind cover before his enemies can fire a second time. This brings us back to Fly, who needs an 8. He's got a 10. This time, he does not miss. Four points of damage, and Luca now has only three left. Sean A. needs just a 6 to hit. Ooh, a 19. She does. Four points of damage. Lucan is now essentially a human pincushion, and this shot has killed him. Professor <laughs> Jace and Catsbane. I'm going to allow them to hold their shots. Salomar, along with the door guard and the boy, raced to catch up with Lucan, but they came to an abrupt halt when, just as he rounded the corner, the young nobleman was filled with arrows, first one to the stomach, then one to the left arm. A split second later, he was struck in the side by a blast of magical energy coming from the upper story window of a nearby building, the spire of which was visible above and behind the estate wall. Seconds later, another arrow thudded into the man's chest, and a fourth took him in the eye, dropping him dead to the snowy ground. Salomar, ever calm and in control, immediately understood that they were not facing a single assassin, but multiple enemies in different positions. He stopped and held a quick conference with the others before leading them back to the main gate. Instead of taking refuge inside, Salomar remained outside while ordering the second door guard to close and lock the gates. After that, with their numbers restored to four, they crossed the street and ducked into an alley before moving toward the spired building by a circuitous route. The Knight had hoped to find a rear entrance, but when they arrived, it became clear that there was none. If he wanted to catch the killers, if they were even still there, He would have to make a frontal attack, and with the enemy bowmen covering the door. His experience told him that there were at least three archers, plus a spellcaster. Four on four. Honor demanded that he push forward with courage, and so that is what he did, splitting his party so he and the boy came around one side of the spired building, and the two door guards went around the other. This time, they would not be surprised. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy the show and would like to help to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and repost episode announcements on social media. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum Worldbuilding Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on Drive-Thru RPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone for their support of the show. At this time, please allow me to share one of your kind reviews. This one is by... Oh, um, I'm going to try and pronounce this. It's a lot of consonants, and I suspect is the result of a cat walking on someone's keyboard. Fitz guck on Apple Podcasts. Fitz guck writes, Outstanding. I've never played D&D nor given it much thought. I wanted a podcast that was story-driven and in the realm of fantasy. Your title intrigued me. I jumped on board and hated the combat system, but the story left me wanting more. Now I can't decide what part I like more, the story or the combat. I still don't understand some of the dice rolls, with low being good sometimes, and sometimes you want to roll high. But you hold my hand to walk me through it. I have to get me a D&D set now. Here's five stars for you and all your hard work, blessing my ears with this story. P.S. I think I'm a dwarf. Oh, Fitzgumprifete Fedurd is a dwarven name. Of course, I should have known. Well, Mog bless you, Master Fedurd, And thanks very much for your kind review. If I made you go out and buy a D&D set, well, I'm not sorry about that. Welcome to the best hobby ever. I am equally grateful to my excellent cast of voice actors. This episode features two newcomers to the show. Well, technically we heard a bit from one of them in the last episode. Lucan is played by Christian Pollock, the brilliantly imaginative Roll and Tell podcast. Definitely one to check out if you haven't already. These guys inspire me. And Sir Patrick Salomar is given voice by Chris Cornish of Druidcraft Woodwork. Chris has a website where you can see his portfolio and shop for dice boxes, deck boxes, and even gaming tables, among other things. It's at www.druidcraftwoodworks.com. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on X or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram, or you can email me at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG related things like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. Tale of the Manticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where Chaos Rolls. A Cthulhu is an actual play TTRPG podcast with six friends in a state of various inebriation. We blunder our way through a variety of tabletop RPG systems and settings filled with hilarious results and plenty of dirty humour. Listen now on your podcast app of choice and reach out on our socials at A Pint of Cthulhu. So sit back and enjoy a pint of Cthulhu.